Welcome to the Pop Ninja Podcast, where we reminisce about the pop culture of the 70s, 80s, and beyond. From bell-bottom jeans to parachute pants, from Panama Jack shirts to members-only jackets, from Smurfs and Scooby-Doo to Thundar the Barbarian. If you had a Rubik's Cube, wore a swatch watch, was crazy about Max headroom, or ever wondered who shot JR, then this podcast is where you will feel right at home. Now, jump in the DeLorean time machine and join your hosts, Lisa and Patrick, as they take you on a pop culture adventure through the greatest decades of all time. Hello out there in podcast land and welcome to another totally awesome episode of the Pop Ninja Podcast. I'm Patrick Bennett coming to you from the swamplands of Southwest Louisiana and joining me over Zoom from her bed and breakfast in the state of Pennsylvania is my lovely co-host, Miss Lisa Everett. Hi, Lisa. Hello. On today's episode, we have a special guest with us that's been known for his portrayal of the superhero Captain Marvel in the Saturday morning filmation TV series, Shazam. Let's welcome our special guest on today's episode, Mr. Jackson Bostwick. Hey, Jackson, how you doing? Doing good, Patrick. How about you? I'm great. I want to welcome you to our podcast, and thank you so much for taking time out today to visit with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, Jackson, uh, Lisa wanted to ask you something right off the bat. She saw that you were from Pennsylvania originally. Go ahead, yeah, Lisa. hi, well, Jackson. Uh, yeah. Lisa? Yes. I was there just long enough to hit the ground, kid. Is that this it? Just born? The war. Okay. This was during the war, just before you were born. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it, it was dad was stationed uh, Carlisle Barracks in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and it was a training uh, for the uh, medical uh, field service school up there. And he was a uh, captain at the time. It was OSS over in the China Theater in in. Uh, in um, during the war in Shanghai, he was ma the major uh, uh, surgeon over there during the war. And then my my mother uh, moved down to Miami. That's where her her uh, mother was, and that's where she was raised, along with uh, my father. Uh, his parents are down there. And then, of course, uh, once Dad went off with OSS, we never knew where he was from, where he was. You know, they couldn't tell us. So we just sat on, you know, I just sat on the floor and played with whatever I could play with. Yeah, well, I'm from Pennsylvania. Dad, well, my dad was born in Butler, and I, yeah. I was born in Carlisle. Yeah, I'm I'm from Punxsutawney with the with the groundhog for Groundhog Day. That's my yes. hometown. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, and then I live funny. like an hour and a half away from Carlisle. I live up in State College, near State College. I have a bed and breakfast up okay. here. Well, yeah, I and I saw that you were from Carlisle, so I'm like, okay, we can talk about that. We can talk about Pennsylvania. But then when I saw your dad was a neurosurgeon from Montgomery, Alabama, I thought, well, how did he, he get to Carlisle then? So now, well, you, you, yeah. now you explained it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I knew a lot about, I uh, heard a lot about Jim Thorpe and everything up in that area. Yeah. The Carlisle oh, I've Indian. been there. I, I love Jim Thorpe. But, I love that town. Yeah. Yeah, with the Carlisle Indians and stuff. But anyway, this uh, dad got his master's. In neurosurgery from the Mayo Clinic. He was number three in his class. Uh, and after he got out of the war, he was a general practitioner during during the war in that time, but he got tired of going out. We lived in Jacksonville after he got out. Got tired of going out in the middle of the night for bloody noses because 
they made, doctors made house calls to specialize in the nurse. And people tried to talk him out of it because it's such a high mortality rate. But that uh, guy, I don't know where, I, where I'm at, but really uh, a smart guy. And he handled, in fact, all his doctor friends in Montgomery, whoever knew him, said he's the epitome of a doctor. And I mean, he just was really, really good. Did you say that you that he you moved to Jacksonville? Yeah, Jacksonville. We lived on Apache. In Florida? In, in Florida? In, in Florida, yeah. Well, Dad was yeah, originally where, from Florida. And he, that's where my he husband was, was from. <laughs> oh, well, my mom was born in New Smyrna Beach, which is just below Jacksonville. Okay, my, my husband's from Orange Park and Green Cove Springs, which is right outside Jacksonville. Okay. And then when you sure. said Jacksonville, I'm like, is that how you got the name Jackson? Because, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, no, Jacksonville, I got, I you know. Because, I got it because my name's Jackson. I'm a junior. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, well Jackson. Okay, so I can't ask anything. <laughs> yeah, I got a question for you. I want to know about your uh, taste in movies. So let me ask you, what is your favorite movie of all time? Do you have one? Well, there's several. I love Shane. Oh, yeah, that's a great uh, movie, Alan Ladd. I love the soundtrack, and uh, it's the story, and watch all the time. Uh, I've got several of them that I like. I'd have to, you know, dial through my mind right now. Shane is the one that comes up right off the bat. Uh, try and, uh, give me a second, and I will come up as we talk. <laughs> I'll right. come up with, uh, with some others. Of course, uh, Gone with the Wind is fun, uh, it because of the music again and the acting. Um, Gone with the Wind's my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's great, and, and you know, you, you you look at the uh, the cast and the way it was portrayed and all that. It's just it's it's wonderful. But uh, I'll think of some others. You know, I I like some of the spaghetti westerns. I, I you know I like uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Sure, Sergio. Um, yeah, Sergio does a great job, and I, I so he did with the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you know, some of the stuff in those um, movies, <laughs> I love. I love it. Every once in a while, I watch one of these Chinese kung fu movies, and I can hear the uh, they how they they uh, steal the uh, uh, soundtrack, you <laughs> know, the music from from uh, from Sergio Leone's movies. You know, so what, what about TV shows? Uh, what, what do you watch on TV now? Anything? Uh, oh, now my favorite is Chicago PD. Uh, that one I really like. Um, it's well acted. The music is great. It's, it's uh, got, you know, good storylines. It's, you know, well written. But that's, that's a good one. It really is. I'd, it's just uh, entertaining. I can watch that one over and over again. Um, other other. Uh, ones I used to like was a Wanted Dead or Alive, Steve McQueen, back then, and I loved uh, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon, and of course the Lone Ranger. Oh yeah, um, all all those back during my time. I liked Cheyenne. I I, I met Clint Walker and, and uh, got some pictures with him and, and stuff at at a show that I was at. Uh, big guy, he put his arm around me and he says, "Oh, you're a big fella." I'm I'm standing next to this giant. And he's calling me a big fellow. Uh, just a great guy. But I, I love his show, Cheyenne. 
Yeah, that was a good uh, one. Good. Hey, my, my dad told me that uh, when, when he was younger in college that uh, Clint Walker came to Lake Charles and he sang at the uh, college. I didn't know he wow. was a singer. He said he sang the, I did not uh, either. Yellow Bird, the song. But, yeah, he said he came uh, with some other cowboys, movie stars, and they did like a little show. Right. Yeah, I, wow. I heard Clint Walker singing in Night of the Grizzly. He sang, sang in that movie. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll have to watch that because I just it was just on the other night. And did he was he did he sing on film or was just a soundtrack? Uh, in the movie, The Night of the Grizzly, he was singing yeah. to the, he was singing to his wife in the movie. He he made a song up. I think it was her name was and he and wow. he was just like sing, sitting on the porch singing in the movie. I I, I, I like Clint I, Walker too. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got to see that because I I'm, I'll, I'll look yeah. for it. Yeah, he I, has I a nice singing voice. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. it's, it's like when they tried to get John Wayne to sing that one movie. Oh, gosh. That was <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. But, but Clinton Walker had Oakley. a really nice voice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well Jackson, I, uh, I, I know you were heavily in the martial arts. Uh, do you still work out with martial arts? No, I can't do it anymore. Uh, I've got a massive rotator cuff tear in my shoulder. And, you know, you, you, you know you're in trouble when the doctor gives you a phone, a phone call at your own home, you know, um, after he saw the MRI, he said, well, you've got as bad as it can get. And so there's no chance of me getting it repaired. Uh, as, as a result, I can't really throw a, pin, a, a punch. My trigger finger still works good, but I can't throw a punch uh, forward and usually up. And I've been going to PT and I can manage and, and main, you know, uh, withstand a little bit of the, of the ache it, it involves. But uh, otherwise, <clears throat> I pretty much destroyed that back when doing jujitsu. And so I weighed 217 back then. And, and the, uh, my sensei and them, they, they love to use me as a demonstration. Uh, <laughs> and of course, my arm, arms are constantly getting bent behind my back. And I'm slapping, you know, to let them know, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> And so I got used to get bursitis and that, and I'm sure I had some minor tears, and it just went into a major tear. Mm. And so I just, uh, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'll probably have to have a hip operation from doing a lot of kicks and stuff. Um, in fact, I think uh, my doctor wants to set me up to go into surgery on April the 5th. Uh, I, I'm going to be talking with him Wednesday. If it does, he's and everybody I've talked with, including Ferrigno and all of them, say, "Won't you?" The hip thing is just great. They said, "You'll always wonder why in the hell you haven't done it before." Are you going to have a, a total hip replacement? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know the the ball of, the ball of soccer joint. Yeah, but yeah. I've, said, I've talked to a lot of people they, that did it too. Yeah. They swear. They swear. Well, I sat less next to John Wesley, Wesley Swoop, or whatever his name is, the one that played uh, Flash. And uh, we were up in, uh, at, uh, I guess it was the new Hall of Fame thing. It was a Hall of Fame Comic Con. And he uh, he told me he had one. He said, man, I, I don't know why I hadn't had it before. He said, I can do it. I said, well, can you do it? He said, I can do everything. Yeah. Well, you can do all this stuff. They, I think they keep you from doing uh, some hard pounding stuff like uh, jogging or any stuff like that. I used to, well, a year and a half ago, I was running five miles every other day. <clears throat> so that, that looks like that, that'll be out. So I'll have to find another way, you know, to uh, to do the cardio. 
I know on your website, there's, you have some incredible pictures of you from your martial arts days. Uh, there, there's one where you Dan, Danny, flying Danny through the air. Asanto, yeah, Danny, Danny Inosanto, Bruce Lee's, Bruce Lee's best friend, he really liked that shot. He said, that's perfect for him. You got your, your, knee, or your foot like it should be in a knife position and the whole thing. But Because uh, I studied with him for three years. I studied with Chuck Norris when he first opened his dojo in, in Torrance. I still had my card signed by hand, uh, my, the white belt, because every time I had had Ishinru uh, karate up when I was in the Army up in Seattle uh, with Steve Armstrong, who was a red belt. It's the highest you can get in the, in the States. He was the main guy for Ishinru karate. Uh, so every time you switch styles, you have to start down from the bottom. So I, 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 he signed my white belt card, Chuck did, when I got in, but we had some fun. Uh, he loved to see me do my spinning uh, back kick. Uh, I could put the bag up to the wall, up, up to the ceiling almost. Wow. He said, Jackson, that is your, watch him in this, his, uh, his uh, Walker, Texas Rangers. He does that spinning back uh, uh, kick all the time. <laughs> the jumping spinning back kick. That's the one he did. He said, Jackson, do that one. I did. He said, man, that is your kick. Hmm. So anyway, but he was, he was very fast. See, and it's like Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was cat quick. People say, well, he just looked. No, problem is he's there before you know it. Right. And that's what made him good. You know, he was he was strong in, in his own respect, but he wasn't this muscular strong. He was just uh, just really cat quick. Hmm. You ever watch a cat with his paw? Watch how fast they move that paw when, they, when they're uh, playing with something. That's, that's Bruce. Wow. So how did you get into acting, Jackson? What, what got you started? Well, I was in the Army. Uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, had my 20 weeks of, at Sports Sam Houston when I first uh, mustered in uh, after graduating because this was during NAM. And I, I took the ROTC while I was in college at Alabama uh, because I, I didn't want to go in as a grunt. I wanted to go in as an officer if I'm going to have to go in and go over to Nam or whatever. And this was back when they had, uh, you had to uh, uh, selective service, you know, with the uh, draft. So yeah, you're on the list. As soon as you get out of college, hey, Uncle Sam wants you. So I was stationed at Fort Sam for 20 weeks to get my MOS, which was a medical, uh, I was a medical uh, supply officer. And I got moved up to Fort Lewis in Washington. And I'm out measuring flat cars. I was in a mobile surgical unit, a MASH, and getting ready to go to NOM. And sergeant comes over to me and says, uh, uh, Colonel wants to see you in his office. And I'm saying, oh, God, what do I do now? Anyway, I go in there and he said, we've got orders for you to be in uh, at, down to Fort Irwin in Southern California in nine days. And I'm just sort of standing there stunned, you know, and I, I, I'm saying to myself, I, I can make it in five. <laughs> I'm out of here. But he said, you know, not, and so the next thing you know, I'm down there. Now, Fort, Fort Irwin is right in the middle of the desert. It's 35 miles from Barstow and 35 miles from Death Valley, right in the middle. It, it is the guard for uh, the state of the uh, fort sort of, uh, you know, guards the uh, Goldstone traffic tracking stations. You know, those big dishes that you see in Spielberg movies trying to right. find, you know, well, it's right out in the middle of the desert, just down from the fort. So I'm out there 
you know, saying, saying okay, hey, I don't mind. <laughs> Just as long as I'm here. Well, it's a dead, it's dead because Nam is in the jungles and this is in the middle of the desert. This is the desert training of, uh, of fort for the army. So you can imagine there was hardly any, you know, people there. Uh, I ended up getting my private pilot's license. I had already done that up in, in Washington. I, end, I ended up, when I got checked out uh, in, in Las Vegas, I flew over there to get, to get that. I get back to what I'm talking about on getting into acting. I went over there and I got my ticket there. To get a private pilot's license at my time cost me $475 mm. to get a private pilot's license. Try that now. Right. Yeah. So anyway... Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm there and one day I get a postcard in the mail. It says, yes, we'd like to see you for an interview. And it was the dating game. And I went into the, I went into where the secretaries were. I said, oh, which one of you guys sent my name into the day? Oh, Lieutenant, you got to go. You got to go. So I responded, say, yeah. And they said, oh, yes, we'd like to see you. So I said, okay, I'll come. And so I go down. I'm brilliant in the interview. I mean, I had them rolling. I mean, laughing so hard. And uh, so they put me on the game. Well, they made me wear my uniform. Of course, back then, it wasn't, uh, thank you for your service back then. During Nam, they spit on you. Right, you know, you yeah. were the hated hated one. Everybody was, all the draft, draft dodgers were running to Canada, you know, to try to stay away. Well, this was during Haight-Ashbury. This is, you know, during that time up there in San Francisco, you know, the flower children. So anyway, uh, I go down there to that, and, and so they, they want me. So I'm on the show. I'm bachelor number one. I was terrible. I froze up because they told you all these things you can't say that I did in the, during the interview. All the words you can't say, uh, the F word, the S words, whatever. And so I go in there almost with a mental block. So I didn't do, I, I was terrible. But <clears throat> after the show, I'm backstage, <clears throat> and this guy comes up to me. And he says, uh, you ever thought about getting into acting? And I said, I have one of them Southern accents. I said, I ain't never done nothing in my life. And uh, he said, well, why don't you see about getting some training? Come back and talk with him. This was Phil Benjamin, the head of casting at Universal Studios. And I didn't know that. He gives me his card, Phil Benjamin. I never did look back up. I, I, I'll tell you why, because everything went so fast. But I kicked myself for not going back and looking him up. But anyway, I called my dad. And I had a few moments before I, uh, you know, would be mustered out of the uh, my two-year obligation. And I told dad, I said, you know, this guy said da 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 And I said, what do, you get her, what do you think if I get her try? And here I am, got a, a pre-med... <laughs> Bachelor of Science in pre-med from Alabama, majored in biology, minor in physics and chemistry, and could have tripled minor in psychology. And my dad's a, as a neurosurgeon. Uh, when we first moved to Alabama, there were only three in the state, and he was one of them, and he was in Montgomery. So I'm, I'm say, saying, Dad, you know, what do you think? There was a hesitation. He said, well, as long as you're continuing your schooling, go ahead and give it a try. Now, I had already, when I left, uh, to go into the army, I had already passed my law entrance, my medical entrance, and my GRE. 
because I knew there's no way that I could remember all this stuff uh, with, with uh, two years in the army. I'd, I'd be lost. It's hard enough to memorize it and get in there for a test and then move on, uh, you know, during class. So uh, I, I, in fact, George, uh, Governor Wallace had given me a recommendation for law school. So, I mean, I was, there were all these ways to go. I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I just took them just in case. So uh, I, I said, well, he had to continue schooling. So there were only two colleges in Southern California that I knew of. And one of them was playing Alabama that year. And that was USC. The other, of course, is UCLA. <clears throat> so that's where I go over. I go over and I, bop it. I have all this uh, documented in my book that I'm getting ready. You know, I'm right at the end of finishing, putting it all together. I've already got the text. I'm just now putting all the parts together so we can do with the pictures. I got a ton of pictures that are going to be in it. It's going to really be a, it's a great read. It's going to be a good book. Uh, it's called Myth, Magic, and Immortal. But anyway, so I, I, you know, I went in totally just out of the blue. And to make it short, I became one of the original members of the master's company, MFA company at USC. Never had done a thing in my life. Hmm. But what the, the, the professor, when I went up to him, and, I, and it's a whole story, but anyway, I knocked on his door. This is during the summer. Nobody around. A place was dead. Only guy that I could find. And I said, <clears throat> I was wondering if y'all taking any new people. And if you are, it's your life. See about getting your acting class. <laughs> and he said, well, have you ever done anything? No, sir, but I've been going to movies since I was five years old. That counts. He said, well, it sure does. And he said, um, he asked me if I'd pass my, as I say, I've got all the dialogue, uh, my GRE. And I said, yes, I did. I didn't, not, not great scores. He said, well, it doesn't matter. Acting doesn't really go for the academia. It's just mainly on what you can do performance-wise. So why don't you come by on Friday? We're in orientation now, and let's see what we can do. He hand-walked me through the process. And as I say, I became one of the 11 original members they just started it that year, the MFA company. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm telling you, you want to make God laugh? Tell me your plans for the future. <laughs> if you'd have, told me, you'd have told me I was going to be an actor when I was in college, I'd say you're a damn fool. Mm. No way. I didn't even know who Lawrence Olivier was. I didn't know who John, I did know who John Wayne was, but I didn't know any of that stuff. So I was. It, that's why it took me three years to get my MFA. It's normally a two-year course, but I had to make up stuff because from I'm going from science into arts. So, so who are who are some of your who are some of your uh, heroes you looked up to as far as acting? Uh, well, as I say, there there are ones that you have as characters and stuff uh, that you like to like. I, I enjoy watching watching the ones that I enjoy, like Clint Walker, and and. Uh, uh, Steve McQueen, uh, John Wayne. It's, it's okay. I didn't. I didn't really uh, look at him as somebody that I mirrored. I enjoyed watching Marlon Brando, uh, even though he was, you know, sort of a rogue of an actor. But he's always fascinating to watch. Um, but that's, you know. And then once I get to watching Lawrence Olivier, I really 
enjoy what he did because I was, it was fascinating how he could make Shakespeare sound like it was just like he was talking. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, just incredible stuff that this guy did. And so, there's, you know, you, you have ones that you you always like to watch when you go. I can remember being when I was at Fort <clears throat> Fort Lewis. Somebody said, hey, you got to come watch this this Western. You know, come up to the uh, up Seattle and watch that. <clears throat> I said, who's in it? He said, I don't know, but it's great. So I go up there and I watch the opening sequence and it shows this guy way off in the distance from a higher view. You're looking down on him and you hear and you see this rifle and you hear this shot. And about three seconds later or longer, the guy falls off the horse. I said, wow. So I see the, the, the uh, uh, credit rolls. I don't recognize any names. But then I see the, the guy that's playing the, the lead character. And I said, hell, that's Rowdy Yates. And, you know, I knew him from Rawhide. I never Clint knew his, his name. I just knew his name was Clint Eastwood. Yeah. From then on, I knew his name. But you, you, you have people like that. But Alan Ladd, I enjoyed watching him in Shane. Some of his other stuff, eh, uh, you know, other stuff he, he did with uh, oh, these cop things, you know, that right. in the early film noir. Uh, he did it with, uh, who's the one that had the, the, the blonde hair that came over one eye? What was her name? Veronica Lake. Uh, yeah, Veronica Lake. Ver- oh, Veronica Lake, yeah. So those, those things, I love film noir. I, I, li- I, I really like watching... Uh, um, uh, movies like Citizen Kane um, because it's fascinating what that guy did. I mean, he's just, that's brilliant stuff. Um, but of all these film noir movies, uh, it's, 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 there's three movies you should watch before you do them. You, you're going to make movies of your own. You need to watch The Seven Samurai, which I enjoy. Harakawa, uh, just really good stuff because I... <laughs> Toshiro Mifune, I think, is great to watch. He's a fun, fun guy to watch. Um, and The Searchers, which I'm my and Citizen Kane. Those three. And you can really make a movie. I think that they're ma- ra- making some sort of movie or something about the making of Citizen Kane, because my son just told me that recently. Did you did you guys hear about that? No, I haven't. I haven't heard I haven't heard anything, but yeah. I, I, no, it's like a, a new thing. I have to ask him what it was because he just mentioned it and I said, I've never seen Citizen Kane. Yeah, I'd like to but, see that. Well, you know, he just had his little little uh, uh, little group that he worked with, uh, the Mercury Players. Uh, and that's the same one uh, that he did when he did War of the Worlds on the radio that had the whole country in panic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Orson Welles, I mean, fascinating guy. Now, I did a movie with uh, Broderick Crawford and uh, that I had the lead in with Cameron Mitchell. It's, it was never released. I don't know where it is, but it's, I mean, we have the proof for the IMDb, put it on there. We just don't know where it is. It was called uh, uh, The Hughes Mystery about Howard Hughes. But anyway, uh, Broderick uh, was just a great guy. He'd have me every morning, he'd have me over to his condominium to drive out to the limousine in his limousine with him to the set. But I, I know why he did it. Well, for one thing, he had me over there because I'm sure just to meet his daughter. The only problem is his daughter looked a lot like him. Um, but he uh, would have me stop by the liquor store on the way out and I'd come go in and buy a quart of vodka. And uh, he was not allowed to have any 
thing on the set. And so I was the one that carried it around in a paper bag. And every so often he'd signal to me. I remember one time at a hospital, we were filming out in Thousand Oaks. And uh, so we went in there and they didn't have anything to mix it with in the machine. So he mixed it with skim milk. Uh, but yeah, but this guy was brilliant to work with. He, he had a machine gun delivery just as fast as you could go. And, and uh, he and I buried uh, Cameron because Cameron was very lazy about learning his lines and doing stuff. He put the script down and almost read it off the desk or something like that. If he's in an office uh, singing or whatever. So with Broad and I in that, I mean, he was, he, he'd get left behind and Broad wouldn't wait on you. If you don't, if you don't come right in with it, he's, he's moving on. He did that with a girl, a young girl. I think it was a, a sort of a screen test for the, uh, for the uh, pick of the day for the for the director, uh, Mel Mills, as I knew, uh, he uh, from Guatemala. He uh, the girl came in and said, "Oh, okay, I'm going to come in and I'll say my line, and then you know, then I'll do this and I'll look over here, and then you know, they, they will go up and really." And he's all right. Let's do it. So the guy says, "Action!" So she no, no sooner opened the door and Broad just came up there and then just ushered her out. And 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 you said, hey, perfect print. Okay, next. And we're moving out. The girl, hey, wait a minute. I didn't even get a chance to say say my line. And Broad said, well, we waited on you. I mean, <laughs> she just barely opened the door and he dragged her in. Oh, it's hilarious. Because here she is, standing there in the room, telling Broderick Crawford, Cameron Mitchell, and myself what she's going to do in the scene. <laughs> And so much for the uh, for the screen test for the prostitute. Hey, I just want to tell you, I did. Uh, my son sent me a message, and he said that um, the store, the the new mo Netflix movie is called Mank, M A N K, and it's and it and it has a it's by David Finchner, and it's it has a link to the the writing of Citizen Kane, of yeah. how that story was written, just in case. Well. I'll tell you right now, <laughs> that's some brilliant direction. Yeah. Holy cow, some of the, so, some so of the they're redoing. Yeah. So they're making a new Netflix movie about it. Well, that's that, that'll be interesting. I'll look for it. Yeah. Hey, Jackson, I wanted to ask you about a few of the movies you were in. Uh, I know you were in Tron, and, and that was an amazing movie as far as the special effects and stuff. But what was it like working on that? Well, when you when you do a Disney movie. And you come in the set. First thing you do is go over to the storyboard because you can see exactly, exactly how you're going to uh, do the part. Uh, I mean, they've got it drawn to perfection, anybody, even sometimes to, to your likeness on the, on the board and, the, and the, the size of the frame that you're going to be shot in. So you know what you can get away with and what you can't if, you're, if it's tight on you or if it's loose or whatever. But <clears throat> you go in and you see that. And the guy that did, uh, directed that, Steven, uh, I think his name is Stevenson or something like that, he's the one that did um, Mary Poppins. And he's, he's not a, an actor. Well, no, this, I take, take it back. It wasn't him on that one. That was on uh, Island at the Top of the World. That was the first movie I did at Disney. Uh, I was, my scene was cut out at the end. I guess it was for time and stuff. But uh, David... Uh, David Hart, Hart, whatever his name, Hartful or something, I can't remember, who played the lead in it. When I first arrived there, he said, 
whatever you do is what's going to go on the screen because this guy does not direct. He is strictly, uh, you know, a camera guy. So, uh, so with Tron, I first thing I did is we'll go over there and uh, look at the storyboard, and I see what we're doing. Now he, we filmed in a it looked like a warehouse. We were one of the sound stages, but the way it was set up, there's there's no, you know, no props or anything. You're looking at these big sodium screen. I mean, it covered geez, the whole side of the uh, of the studio. And, and you see these little catwalks, uh, planks, almost like somebody's, you know, bricklayers on the side of a building hmm. uh, stuff that you're going to be walking up. And so you go, you don't know where the hell you are. Unless you look at the, uh, the storyboard, you can get a halfway look. I have a hard time now even watching the movie and telling where I am because I, you can't tell from that back. I'm trying to say now what? Was that where it goes? I'm with Stark all the time. I'm the head guard, and, or I'm pushing uh, 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 Jeff around. I don't, I have, there are only a couple of scenes that I can really recognize uh, where I am. Because when you're walking on that, all that, all you're, you're looking over there and you're supposed to be seeing all this stuff, all, all you see is a big sodium screen. So it's, uh, it's pretty hard to figure out where you are and what you're doing. Uh, other than I know some of the physical stuff that I did and I can spot me doing that. But as far as just the walking and, and going through different areas, uh, very hard to do. But uh, I, I just, uh, you know, thought it was a, a fun movie and it was way ahead of its time. Oh, it yeah, out. definitely. It's so much better than the new one that came out. Uh, they call them sentries now. They didn't call them uh, guards like they did back when I was in it, they call them sentries. And I sat next to one of the guys that played one of the sentries and the new one. But I know that the, the old one was just really fun to so watch. How do they make your costume glow? That I don't know. Yeah. It's just regular white stuff. It uh, is all after, you know, in, in the studio stuff. That they glow, the glow after. sticks. They put those glow sticks. <laughs> Oh yeah, the ones you break and you shake them. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Sure, I'm sure. Yeah. No, we just have regular poles that we had, you know, and and uh, staffs that we were supposed to prod them with, like cattle prods. Well, let's talk about uh, the '80s horror movie that you're in, the the Prey. Yeah. Yeah. What now, was that, that production was, like? That was fun. Now the people that did this. Uh, uh, Brown, the Browns, um, Edward Brown, and I think his name's Ed Brown, and his wife, uh, uh, gosh, they're going to kill me if I can't remember their names. Well, you can look them up and find their names. But uh, they, uh, they, did, they were famous for doing soft porn, and they've done different stuff. And we did this one for uh, Gold Key Entertainment. <clears throat> I think it was Gold Key. Anyway, uh, it was shot up in Idlewild, which is just above Palm Springs. You, you can take a, uh, if you don't drive up the backside of the mountain, if you, if you go up the Palm Springs side of the mountain, you take a, a cable car up to the top of the mountain, 9,000 foot level or something like that. But it was beautiful back up there. They have, a USC has a music camp up there and uh, all kinds of stuff. But that's where that was filmed. And we did it um, in Lake Sherwood, which, which is, uh, right in the middle 
uh, of uh, Beverly Hills, uh, Bel Air. It, and you'd never you'd think you were in the North Woods. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, lot, a lot of this stuff with those uh, with the big furs and everything. That's where and that's where I did the final uh, uh, coming back and talking to the kids at the end of the show on Shazam. We filmed it there. And I've, um, his I, his know, wife's it, name was Summer. Summer. Summer Brown. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they they were just wonderful to work with. I had a, I had a great time doing that. Laurie Lathine and, and Carol Stricken, who played Lurch in the Adams Family, he's the one that kills me in that. Uh, they, I've just sat and done several uh, uh, comic cons with him. And the last one I did was A Frightmare in Texas. And I did, uh, he sat with me next to me and, and Laurie Lathine, which is one of the girls, uh, was there. And just, uh, it was a good movie. It was fun. I don't know about the bugs and and all the different uh, shots. In fact, when we had a a, a little uh, Q and A uh, at the show, they uh, <laughs> were talking about that. I said, "Don't ask me with the crickets. I mean, with the centipedes and all those things <laughs> that he had there." But it's. Uh, I thought it, it did well. Doc. They added some stuff in there that they didn't have in the original uh, uh, theatrical for for America because it was a little uh, dicey. And don't forget, I said they did soft porn. And this is the gypsy camp. Now, they've added that in. So if you get the Blu-ray of it, you can see that particular thing. It adds a lot of time to the uh, feature. But uh, it's it's a, a nice little piece to watch. I talked with Laurie. I think I, he wanted them to do some, some partial nudity in a stream when they were swimming. And uh, I, I think they sort of bucked that a little bit. The girls did. <clears throat> but other than that, it was a, it's a fun movie. It's a, it's a good little uh, horror movie. Uh, yeah, people, I enjoyed the people it. Did that, the people that did that are out of UK. That When I say that, they brought it back in 3D. I mean, uh, uh, or Blu-ray. Uh, they also called me and asked me if I knew who the person had the rights to Psychopath, which is one that it was normally originally called Eye for Night which is a cult movie now, and they wanted to do the same thing in Blu-ray with that. Uh, and I called him, I said, that was uh, um, Larry Brown, but I don't know where he is now. Last I knew, he was in Pennsylvania with his father's metal shop or something up there. But I haven't heard from him. I, I couldn't tell. And he couldn't, couldn't find him. They couldn't find anybody on that. So I don't know if they're going to follow through with that or not. But yeah, that's a it's a good movie. It, it is. It's worth the and it's beautiful on the three of the uh, uh, the Blu-ray now. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I've I've got a question for you about it. Uh, do you really play the banjo? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. moving it and they're added it in later but oh no you really play okay no i play i play that five string in fact i talked with earl scruggs 
But oh. I called, I called, yeah, called his house because I wanted to get. They told, uh, his wife told me, he said, "You better." I had Foggy Mountain break down the album. He said, "Boy, you better get that to keep that because people are killing for that one." Hmm. So uh, I, I, I learned it. I taught self-taught myself on that, and also uh, when I'm uh, doing the, the uh, Wide Mouth Frog, that was it. First came out on uh, after I did it on uh, YouTube, and now everybody's doing Wide Mouth Frog, <laughs> but. It, uh, what made mine so interesting is, is you don't realize where I, what I'm doing until you see that I'm feeding a, a young deer. Right, I was going to ask telling you, what, what was it like to pet the deer? Oh, he was great. It was just yeah. a young fawn or yearling, I should say. Yeah, that was and a cool this, scene. Yeah, it worked. He had me do that. I don't know how many times he did that to Jackie Coogan too. Had him do that, uh, repeat that uh, scene by telling about the fire and and how the. Uh, this uh, guy was lost up there, and and of course he's the one that's the uh, uh, the killing. They're doing all the killing, but I had him repeat that so many times. I felt sorry for him. Jackie. It took him five minutes to sign my uh, my uh, script. I mean, he had a stroke, you know, so mm -hmm. he was really really off on it. I want to get the prey. I just was looking it up and reading about it too. Um, I, I, I never saw it, but I love all those eighties horror movies. So it, it, I never, I'm glad Patrick saw it. So, um, yeah. but it looks cool. It looks really cool. Did you get a chance alley. to see, did you get a chance to stuff that I sent you, uh, Patrick? I did. I watched it. I, I saw you had like a teaser, you had the trailer and then you yes. had like a, a scene, the yes. opening sequence that looks yeah. pretty good. Well, it is, it's, but it, don't forget it's a, uh, a takeoff on Bloody Mary. I okay. mean, we got the gore in it and everything, but it's all tongue in cheek. All right. Are you talking about his new movie that you were talking about? Yeah, let, let's go ahead and talk about that, Jackson. You want to tell everybody what what the movie, movie's about? Yeah, it's called Bloody Mary, L-I-T-E, Bloody Mary Light, like your light beer, an, an <laughs> urban fairy tale. And uh, it's you know, instead of our urban legend, we made it an urban fairy tale. And uh, I used a lot of this stuff out of uh, Grimm's fairy tales and a lot of <laughs> stuff that's, that's very cliche that you see in movies. Like we have some uh, some vultures circling overhead and we give the sound, you know, the hawk sound you always hear. I don't care what kind of bird is flying up there. They're going to put that sound in. And also we have the, uh, and I can't think of the name of it. There's a name of some scream that you use. All uh, right. Taken from, from it was taken from Distant Drums, which is a Gary Cooper movie uh, shot down in the Everglades. And a guy gets shot in the thigh. And when he gets shot, he gives his scream. And it's I just feel used it. Wilhelm scream. Will, the Wilhelm scream. And I use that in there. And people recognize it. Yeah, I've used that uh, in a short film before. And uh, yeah, it's, so it's it's great, but that's from Distant Drum. Anyway, uh, those those type of things are in this, and it's fun. It is. It's a fun movie to watch. And we have some gore, and we have some uh, stuff. I've cut it down. I've got two different versions now. I've got the uh, the uh, director's cut, which is an hour and fifty two, and then I've got the uh, theatrical cut, which is an hour forty two. And it's it's uh, as I say. It's a, a kid finds a mirror in a cave and uh, 
it, it's not it's not really Bloody Mary, Mary that comes out. He thinks it's Bloody Mary that's killing people, but it's a whole thing from another uh, another solar system. And in fact, uh, the stranger which I play tells you that this the metal on this cross that he calls it. He said, "Well, you mean the cross?" He said, "It's the it's the material it's made out of, not the symbol." And he and he said, "It's a it's a uh, element that's not found in this galaxy." Mm. So it, it 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 all this kind of stuff. It's it's fun. It really is. Uh, I enjoy watching it. Just to, to some of the especially. I don't want to spoil it. There is one scene in there where the devil takes him on a ride <laughs> in a car to prove his worthiness that he should know the secrets. He said, but I should, I want to make sure that you are in the word manly enough to be able to take it. And he takes him on a ride in his car. Wait until you see that. It's fun. So you wrote it and directed it? Wrote it, directed, produced it and played a, I played the, uh, the stranger in it. Okay. When can people see this? When's it coming out? Well, I've just talked with a, an exhibitor that wants to uh, exhibit it. We have to get, and we're in the final uh, stages of, of cutting the, uh, that intro that I showed you was one of the cuts. Uh, it, the, the intro is a lot longer than that in the uh, director's cut, much longer. That's, it, by the way, it's in a cave. It's not outside. That's all shot in a cave. Um, this, uh, we hope, but they're ready to go with it. I've got to get, there's things we got to get cleared up. We haven't, you know, looked at the papers or, or signed anything yet. So that's, that's the stage we're in right now. I want to say on that, that intro looked really nice. Uh, a lot of movies you see where they have scenes shot in the dark, it's too dark, but the lighting on yours was perfect. You can see just enough, well, you know. Well, see that because it was in a cave. And that light that you see that shines down on the water, that's one of the light lights for the cave. And, yeah. and, so, and so as a result, you get, instead of an outdoorsy look, you get this, this uh, closed in. Now, a lot of people think it's outdoors. But you look at the, uh, the reflection on the rocks and everything that you get the, the, uh, uh, because of the, they're all damp from being in a cave. And this was a cave that's just outside of... Uh, of um, Gatlinburg that we shot it. Uh, in fact, it's right at almost the entrance of the uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park behind Gatlinburg. Uh, you know, not, not the Gatlinburg entrance, but there's another entrance that you'd come in through Maryville. And uh, in fact, after some of the scenes we shot, we went up and shot in the park. Uh, like right now, you don't know about it. There's a couple of scenes of kids jumping off rocks into, into the stream. That's all stuff that's done in, in, uh, in the Great Smoky Mountains. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. National Park. I told oh, my daughter, is. my daughter last year, we went to Cades Cove. Looked that's around. exactly where we, that's exactly, we were just down from Cades Cove. But that, and in fact, that entrance, that's where a lot of tubers come down, uh, to take the tubes down the river or the creek. Uh, that, that entrance right there on Cades Cove entrance is uh, uh, the entrance that we used. There's a big motel there, or hotel type thing. We used one of the houses that they rented. That's where I put the crew up and the, and the cast as they would come in from Atlanta and stay and do their stuff and then they'd leave. Uh, we all stayed in that one house. And I even it even doubled as a set. 
Yeah, I can't wait to see it. That's beautiful, beautiful scenery out there. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, and, and you'll enjoy it. It's, uh, it's fun. Well, Jackson, besides Shazam, what, what are, what's your favorite project you ever worked on as an actor? Well, it's, it's one of those where they, most of them I didn't do. I'll tell you what I really enjoyed is, is uh, Evil Knievel when I had to make out with Sue Lyon in the back of a car for three hours. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> Sue and I hit that there, hit it off great. But she told me, uh, she said, you know, Jackson, if, if George has his way, you're going to be cut out of this movie. I said, what do you mean? Because it was a fight scene. I had to beat him up. And uh, he, uh, she said, well, George's idea of a movie is George standing on a mountain with 3,000 women looking up at him. Yeah. And uh, but she was just just a sweetheart to work with. Um, I did when I did Gus. I had to uh, learn how to you know play dribble soccer. They had one of the uh, Aztecs, the LA Aztecs, come and and teach me. We'd go up and down San Jacinto uh, Avenue in the mid uh, median uh, section there where everybody jogs, and we he'd uh, give me a soccer ball that he had deflated down a little bit so it's not quite as springy and i didn't would teach me how to dribble <clears throat> so the one of the scenes that i had to do there uh we went and looked at the uh at an actual game of a, of a, a goal being scored and that's what i was going to have to mimic uh playing that guy and so uh they had a professional come in uh, from the one of the aztecs to come in and shoot the goal first and that and then i told him i said and he had a hard time hitting his mark but i told uh i told the director i said you know if you want me i can dribble down there and shoot you can do that yeah all right get up there and do it so i did it came down hit the mark first thing kicked the goal and bingo cut print why did you why didn't you tell us you could do that nobody asked me mm -hmm. and that's the same with uh, with uh vic morrow just before he was killed mm -hmm. i did secrets of lost valley uh, for Disney, and we shot that up around Fort Hood, I mean, uh, Mount Hood in Oregon, and <clears throat> he had me come down, there was a, I played one of the Rangers, and <clears throat> we're out looking for this kid, <clears throat> excuse me, and I come down out of this uh, woods and had to, had to run across this uh, uh, little log-type uh, uh, bridge going, and when the bridge, it was just a log laying in a stream, going across this stream and then come out to the other side. Well, I walked it and I could see, and it was slick. I mean, it, those, that, that particular log was just really slick. And uh, I had to be really careful going back to get set, you know, to come out of the woods to do it. And, and, and Vic had told me, he said, now, when you come out, I want you barreling. I want you flying. You're, you've got something you want to tell. And I want you to come across and just, you know, quick as you can. And I said, you little devil, I know what you want me to do. You want me to bust my butt to come across. <laughs> well, I, I came flying through there, man. And I, I danced across that log like you wouldn't believe. And it caught him all off guard because he, he didn't. It was, uh, you know, a few beats later, he yelled cut. Because uh, I know he told the cameraman to tell no matter what happened to keep rolling. And I told him, and I stopped, and everybody, you know, I said, uh, now, Vic, if you want me to come off and take a fall, I can do that. And he, he said, no, that's okay. We got it. We got it. 
but I caught him right there off guard because the guy that the other guy that played the, uh, the uh, and he's a stunt man uh, that played the other ranger. He told me, he said, he told the cameraman, no matter what happened to keep rolling. And he knew he thought that I was going to fall, but I didn't. And it, that water was freezing cold. Oh yeah. That's so a anyway, story. <laughs> yeah. But that was just before he got killed in uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. We were talking about that just the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Jackson, uh, let's talk a little bit about Shazam. So how, how did okay. you get the role of Captain Marvel? It's one of those, you put your pants on one day and it's your turn. Uh, I had just a friend of mine and boy, you had in this business, you have to have friends. And I had, I had some, some key friends. One of them was the head casting at Disney. <clears throat> He's the one that kept my uh, SAG pension alive because he kept giving me, I'd come back and do voices for uh, uh, Zorro and Captain Outer Space and, you know, Apple Dumpling Gang. I did voices, a bunch of voices out there. Uh, but, and it was enough to keep my, you have to make a certain amount of money each year to qualify and you have to do it for 10 years. And he kept me going on this. I mean, I'd do some other movies, but he made sure that I, I got my time and my uh, hours in. But anyway, uh, I, had, I was, uh, was really upset. I'd just broken up with a girl. Uh, I, I, I was in between agents. I didn't have a commercial agent. Uh, <clears throat> I did have a theatrical, wasn't real happy with him. And so I called Bill and I said, you know, I'd, boy, I'm really dead. He said, well, why don't you go with Jack Wormser? And, and I, I said, <laughs> About six months ago, I dropped my pictures off there. I never heard from him. He said, well, let me, let me give him a call. 30 minutes later, I get a call back. Hi, Jackson. Yeah, it's Jack Warren. Come on down. We'd like to see you. Yeah, right. You get a call from the head of Disney's casting. Sure you would. So anyway, uh, go down there and they take me. About two weeks later, uh, I get this call. Said they want me to go out uh, into the valley for uh, this Captain Captain Marvel uh you know, series. And I'm thinking it's a Captain Marvel serial, you know, because this was a, a commercial agent and it's like Captain Crunch. There's going to be a serial. And I, because Captain Marvel was my hero growing up. I mean, it was one of my favorite comics. And I had a huge collection of them until my mom threw them out when I went to college. The only thing she caved, saved was my uh, collection of uh, classics illustrated because it had some kind of academic value to it. But all my other comics, I mean, I had a fortune worth it. And she threw them all out. <laughs> Cleaning house. So anyway, uh, God love the mobs. I know that story has been <laughs> told by other people many times. But anyway, so, uh, you know, I, I just, he said, it's out at the place called Filmation Studios, which I had. The name didn't ring a bell. Later, I know, because I used to watch the Lone Ranger animation. And they, they did that. One of my favorites. Um that, that and and uh, uh, Space Ghost that I used to like to watch animated other than my, you know, Bugs Bunny Roller Hunter Hour. <laughs> so anyway, um, I go out to this, you know, I'm following the address and the gun, here it is. Well, I pull right up to the front of it. Now, if you're doing a commercial uh, uh, cattle call, you're lucky if you get a parking place two, week, two blocks in front of the place, you know, to get to find a place to park. I'm pulling right up to the front. I go in the door. There's nobody there. 
I sit in the foyer and wait, and presently this guy comes out and introduces himself, and he's the producer. You never meet the producer on a, on a cattle call. It's always a casting person. And, of course, as it went along, when I first went out, they'd have you read, and then you come back. But now they, now they were putting you on film, you know, the tape, tape you. So anyway, I go back and I talk with you. And as we're talking, I'm realizing this is Captain Marvel, what I grew up with. And of course, I let him know, you know, da da da. He's looking at some of my flying sidekicks. He said, "God, you can fly without wires." <laughs> and and I told him, and I weighed two seventeen. I had an eighteen and a half inch neck, forty eight and a half chest, thirty inch waist. Uh, I mean, really, I I was in jeans and a white t shirt and cowboy boots because that's my uniform that I wear to cattle calls. Uh, so I was, you know, <laughs> not really up for a part in, in a series. So uh, as we're going out, Bob told me later, he said, you know, after seeing all this stuff and listening to your voice and your smile and everything, I knew that you were the one. Uh, he said, we've been looking for four months for Captain Marvel. First, we looked for actors that were athletes, then the athletes that were actors. Then we were back to actors, athletes. We narrowed it down to four. And he said, as we were walking out, did you happen to notice the guy that was sitting in Farmer John's in the, in the office? I said, uh, yeah, halfway, not really. Thin. He said, as, as you went by, now I, I am paraphrasing this because I couldn't, I, I, I meant to ask for Bob to get the exact wording on it. But uh, he said, as you went by, he made a remark, something to the tune of, wow, now there goes a Captain Marvel. Mm. And uh, this guy was up for the part. And that was Mark Harmon. He had just graduated from UCLA as their star quarterback. And he was one of the final four. Wow. Wow. And he said, when I heard that, he said, that cinched it. And I knew you had. Next thing I know, I'm called out to meet, meet the uh, uh, producers. And I never met any of them. And at that time when I came in, uh, I saw that, uh, uh, Michael Gray and Lester Main. I didn't know. Mike, I, I look at this guy with this big shock of hair, and I wonder who, who he's going to be because he looks older, you know. Didn't look like a young Billy Batson. And the old guy, I couldn't figure out. Maybe maybe he's going to be Shazam or somebody. I don't know. Now, they the reason they made a mentor character was because we had at the time, this is when all the PC and the and the uh, language police and everybody was coming out to the point where uh, Street Three Stooges was too too uh, violent for kids to watch and all this kind of stuff. Um, that they needed, uh, they couldn't have a young kid going around by himself in a motorhome without being chaperoned. So they created this character mentor. Now they missed, as far as I'm concerned, they should have made him the old wizard Shazam. Right. And because Shazam lives at the Rock of Eternity, he's he's uh, he's killed when when Billy Batson first says his name in the cave, he is under in the in the traditional uh, uh, setting. Uh, he has just passed the seven uh, deadly enemies of man gone down this long uh, uh, corridor to the, to this throne where this old uh, Egyptian wizard is sitting. And he's sitting under this 2,000-pound block above his head, held by a thread. So he says, uh, tells Billy, after all this, that I chose you because you're pure of heart, 
not like the not like the, the stuff that they did in this Shazam movie, which is a dog of a movie. Uh, <clears throat> they destroyed the Captain Marvel part. Well, hell, I'm glad they didn't call him Captain Marvel. They call him Shazam now. But anyway, I could go on forever on that uh, thing. Uh, but he, uh, as soon as he says it, I say my name, and he says it, you know, Shazam. And this block comes down and crushes the wizard. And his spirit comes out and says, if you ever need me, I will be out at the Rock of Eternity. And you can fly, you know, fly out and see me. And so I tell him why in the world they didn't have him come back as a holograph and sit there. And if somebody comes in, then he could change to solid, you know. But uh, most of the time he would be a holograph. And I think it would be really fascinating to see. And instead of having old, old uh, uh, elders fleet and strong and wise, where in the heck are you guys? And instead of having them, you know, having them uh, just talk to some little button thing, to talk with Shazam. And, you know, you, you're given those powers. You don't have to think them up. They're yours. That's, that's part of Shazam. That's part of the, uh, the magic. You've got the, the wisdom of Solomon, not the wisdom of some kid out of uh, uh, Big and Little or whatever that thing, uh, Big, that uh, Tom Hanks did. By the way, that was uh, uh, um, Steven uh, Spielberg's sister that wrote that. Um, and she, I did two, I did two movies for her. I did Escape from DS3 and Killings and Outpost Zeta that she uh, uh, produced. But anyway, that's uh, that's how it, uh, I got it. And next thing I know, I'm playing the part. We were going down to Western costume uh, to to fit in the uh, the costume, and I had them. I wanted to make sure it was done right. And uh, filmation sent over because it is an animated studio a, a a drawing of Captain Marvel exactly like C.C. Uh, Beck did it. And they matched that. And I mean, they did a good job. Western costume did a good job. Uh, the boots were handmade up there and the whole thing uh, to fit me. Jackson, what, what did you think about the old uh, cliffhanger serial with Tom Tyler? I loved it. Yeah, now, me too. It's one of Beck, my favorites. C.C. Beck hated it. Really? He hated it. Well, because, I mean, this is Tom, no BS, Tyler. I mean, he's throwing guys off the buildings. Right, he's got a machine gun. <laughs> oh, all that stuff. All right, well, CC did. That's not how he envisioned. He told me, he said, Jackson, the way you played that character is exactly how I envisioned it. And he signed my picture to my offspring. I've got that. That'll be in the book. Uh, that he and I conversed a lot. He he made a sword for me, a Shazam sword. Uh, he had a big one. He wanted to give me it at a, some convention and I couldn't make it. And he sold it to somebody. I wish I'd have got, but I got, I do have one. And, uh, but you no, know, he did not like it at all. And because of that, but I, I always liked Tom Tyler. I liked his voice. Uh, when he did a lot of John Wayne movies. In fact, when I did uh, the uh, uh, Hollywood Santa Claus Lane Parade, um, the first year that we had gotten out of Shazam before all the crap hit about me being fired. Uh, John Wayne was the head marshal. He came over and he, when I was in costume, he said, I always wanted to be in a picture with Captain Marvel and puts his arm around me. <laughs> and, you know, he tells me, you know, 
uh, Tom Tyler played this card. I said, yes, sir. He said, he did a lot of movies for you. He said, oh, he was a good man. And I, uh, and we talked a second, and then he had to go on. And he said, uh, you know, take care of Pilgrim, and walks off. And I told Patrick Wayne, I played poker in a poker group with him, and I t- said, somebody took that picture, and I can't ever find it. He said, it's probably some, you know, foreign uh, uh, paparazzi, and it's probably in some magazine over in Europe somewhere. Hmm. I said, yeah, I'd sure like to get that picture. Yeah, that'd be an awesome picture to have. Yeah. yeah. I do have a picture of us up in the car in the parade, though, and uh, it, it's a good picture. So how did they make you fly? I saw on a TV guide, it showed you like laying on a board on a vehicle. That's one thing. Pre-production, we were at uh, Raleigh Studios, up, which is, you know, down from Paramount up uh, in, in uh, Hollywood. And we did some pre-production flying shots. Well, they didn't have any wires. They didn't have any, any kind of thing to do it with. And I told them, look, I can do a back arch on a pedestal if you can get it for me. Well, they got a four by four board and they put it up about, I don't know, three feet off the floor, maybe a little more. And so I lean over on that with that in my gut and I do a back arch, a straight out back arch on that thing. And that's how they film it. And if you'll see some of the flying shots of me coming right at the camera, you'll see that my right foot is missing. That's because the blue uh, uh, board, which they painted it because this is blue screen they used, uh, knocked out my foot on that side. But it's a great shot coming right at me. I'm right at camera. But those flying side shots of me, uh, full length, I'm on this. Uh, two weeks, I couldn't touch my stomach. It was so sore mm. uh, from doing that uh, nearly all day on that darn thing. Uh, but that's way, that's the way we did it. And then uh, when we were first starting, uh, they got a camera car. I told them I could do that on a diving board. If you want to film below me, I can stretch out and do that. And just, uh, just strap my feet back there, and I'll do a back arch from the uh, from the thighs out. And that's how we did it. And so we got the camera car, and we went up and down San Vicente uh, Boulevard in the valley and uh, uh, filmed those flying shots. And then we did some – I said, you know, Captain Marvel does a lot of running. So the, they have me – doing some running on a low uh, uh, pedestal in front of the camera car uh, down below the grill. And I'm acting like I'm running, doing the things, and they're, they're behind me filming like I'm running down the road. So that's how we did those. Did you have like a little trampoline or something for the, the, the launch? Yeah, I did. A, now, initially... We didn't have it set up where I could do, you know, I, I told them that, yeah, that's why you see on the very first ones, I'm running and jumping. You see me jump over the camera, you know, and then, and then they go into flying because we didn't have that. This was all pre-production. We didn't have it. So as we got going, I said, can you get me a mini trap and I'll just bounce over the camera and then, you know, the guys can catch me. Well, you should have seen the first few of those of me doing a perfect takeoff, go over the camera, and then have these guys trying to catch me. I mean, I would get uh, uh, hands in the face, in the crotch, everywhere, because I'm doubling up trying to protect myself. 
I mean, you got these guys over there trying to catch a 217-pound sack of uh, flour coming, flying over it. You know, I got beat. I said, God, just get me some boxes, stunt boxes or something. We can put a, put a mattress on top and I can land on it. And that's what we did. And from then on, I used that. And I perfected that. Yeah, it I mean, looks I good. Could, I, could, I could phone that in. Uh, in fact, uh, when I injured myself, that's where I injured myself on, my, on the stunt. That it cost me the job because these guys thought I was holding out for more money. We had these uh, boxes out, and this was the second year. I'd already gone back because the crew was complaining. They'd come to me and want me to go talk with the with the uh, executive producer about what was going on. Well, anyway, they thought I was being a little snarky. What? But I was. I've got it all in the book. So I I had a setup. And, and, and here the second day year, I'm called out at 7.30 in the morning out in the valley, some little Taco Bell uh, stand, and to do a takeoff. And that was it. The rest of the day I was off. They would never have. Bob Chanel was no longer on the show. He was gone. And uh, they got a new producer on, uh, who uh, Arthur Nadell, who had been a director before. And, and something was fishy about all of that. And I'm telling you, the whole thing stunk. I uh, I come out there and I, I see I don't have anything else. They wouldn't have put done that to me at all the first year. To come out and just do that, not not the guy that's you know doing all these stunts and everything. So uh, I do it first one perfect. I go back to the uh, and this is a new director and he was. He was a real snide little guy. Uh, I never worked with him. This he was new, not like the Holly Morris or these guys that were just really trooper directors we had on the first year. Because Bob brought some great guys in. Anyway, so uh, I'm back tra- in the trailer. But I mean, we we changed in the uh, in the uh, RV. That was our dressing room. All th- all three of the cast. And uh, I get a knock on the door. I'm already out of the costume halfway and everything. Uh, uh, yeah, the director would like to see you do another one. I said, are you kidding? That thing was perfect. I mean, I could have fought. Well, he just, you know, for safety. Oh, for crying out loud. I said, even if they didn't want to use it, you could use another one. I mean, it's a generic look. So anyway, go out to do it again. I, you know, they're all in a hurry, whatever. We didn't check the boxes. So the, for the first landing, my boxes lost their integrity. So when I did the second one, and by the way, I'm doing this. And the first one I give my, I have my little Super 8 camera out there, uh, Super 16. And I, I, well, not 16, but it was a Super 8. And I give it to Bob Sparks, who was a head cinematographer. I said, Bob, can you take it? So he took it of the first one. So now we do it again. I said, Bob, you know, one more time, please. He said, oh, yeah, come on. So I go do it, and I come flying over, the, and I hit those that, that uh, mattress, and I go right through it, and my eye catches the corner of one of the boxes. And I, and I don't know if you know cardboard. When you stand it up straight, it's as strong as a board almost. And I went through that, and during there, ripped my eye out. I busted the blood vessel under the eye. I went crashing through, and I went face first into the asphalt mm. uh, in the bottom of the boxes. And I come up shaking like that, 
not knowing where I mean, it dazed me. And the guys were rushing in, my safety men, they all rushed into me. And this is all on camera. Bob handed me the camera afterwards. He said, well, I got it all on film if you ever need it for a lawsuit. Wow. I said, no, you're not even thinking about that. And, and I go out and I film another scene uh, out front with Michael and, and, and a girl out front of the thing. And I just filmed it. And then my safety man, oh, Jackson, we got to get this Captain Marvel with the mouse. We got to get it. So I've got this big, big ice pack on my on my eye. And uh, so, okay, I, they film it. It shows me the ice pack. I take it off and I point to him. I got this big smile. And I got this huge busted, blessed, busted blood vessel under my eye swollen out. I mean, there's no way I could film the next day anyway with that. With that, So uh, I put it back on. So anyway, when it came to arbitration, we showed that because my, my this was before discovery. Uh, you had to do discovery uh, in lawsuits and stuff. This was before that. So they didn't know I had the film. And my lawyer said, oh, by the way, and this is after they all lied. They had the nurse change that, that she never gave me anything. They had uh, uh, Arthur Nadell came in. Yeah, look, and he looked fine. All of these kind of things coming in lying. And uh, he uh, said he he has it on, on on a home movie if you'd like to see it. No, objection, objection, you know, from the other side. And the head arbiter said, well, I don't know about you guys. I haven't seen a home movie in a long time. I'd sort of like to see it. They showed it. As soon as they showed it, uh, Mr. Bosco, could you step out in the hall for a few minutes? So that's what I did, and they discussed it. And my lawyer came out, and they're going to have to pay me for all the shows they didn't use me on, plus residuals. Mm. Didn't matter, Patrick. They they killed the they killed the show. Well, I know I know we enjoyed the show. You know, uh, you were always a hero of mine growing up, and uh, I watch it every Saturday. Um, it looked like you had fun on it while while you were filming it. Uh, do you have any like totally. favorite favorite episode that you did? Uh, my the, the the best stunt that I did wasn't the hard, I wasn't the most dangerous was when I take the girl off the horse uh, when she's riding on a runaway horse right and I had to, Patty Eldridge was the uh, was the stump lady and I told her I said Patty I'll tell you what if you if you come right running beside me I can snatch you off the horse she said well I don't know I said she said well here pick me up and I did. And, and as soon as I did that, she said, okay, let's do it. And I asked her later, I said, why did you say? She said, because as soon as you picked me up, I knew you could handle me. Yeah. Uh, she was light as a feather. I was doing heavy lifting back then. I'd do hack squats with 600 pounds because that was into judo and stuff. So anyway, uh, told her, I said, just get back there. And when you start coming, I want you, as you get close to me, you know, just, uh, just give a whistle. Just give a little, you know, where I can hear you. And I, because uh, I'll hear, I'll hear the horse beat. You know, I can hear the thunder of the horse beat coming up, and I'll start running. And and as soon as you go by me, I'm gonna I'm gonna sweep you right off the horse. And so we did it, and all in one take, she comes flying by me, and I snatch her off. Horse keeps on running. I hit my mark. Friend, cut. That was it. Best stunt I ever did. Now, the hardest or the most dangerous was when they hung me by my heels on 500-pound test piano wire, and I'd drill into the ground. And they haul me up 30 feet in the air. There's a big 60-foot crane. And they'd spin, they'd spin me first and then haul me up as I'm spinning. 
and then lower me down like I'm drilling into the ground. Well, I'm looking up at 30 feet down at my safety man who had a fire hose that he was squirting out because of water that I was supposed to be, uh, not water, I, the water wasn't coming out for it, but I drill into the, into the ground to get water to put out a fire because a fire had been set. Uh, it's called the doom buggy uh, from a flare. And uh, the, the, a kid shot up, you know, for a, uh, a warning signal or something. I forgot the re- reason for him doing it. So anyway, I'm looking down. I said, if this, if this wire snaps, if it gets any twists in it and snaps, holy cow. I mean, I'm coming straight down on my safety band. I don't have anything. I mean, it's going to be a disaster. So they spin me and I come down in the hole and I tuck in real quick because I, I know good and well they're going to start squirting the water. So I tuck down in there and, and I heard him say, God, Pratt. And he comes over, Bob says, Jackson, that was great. I, can you do one more? One more. I said, and my head was going round and around. <laughs> the hole was just going. He said, I said, well, God. Well, yeah, hurry up, do it quick. So they get me in, they, and they hold me above the ground, and then they spin me, send me up. I come down, do it again. Come over. Oh, Jackson, just one more. Can you do just, God dang it, do it. Send me back and spin me again, come down. And I'm telling you, for two weeks, I was a mess. I would have vertigo, you know, where your eyes just go, ah, around and around. Unbelievable. My dad told me later, he said, all they had to do was spin you the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have straightened you out because you, what you did is you tumble, you tumbled your semicircular canal. You got it tumbled and it threw you off. I said, tell me about it. So anyway, that was the one that was the most scary. Now the, uh, the, uh, the most dangerous one was riding on top of the motor home. Now you wouldn't think that would be bad, but motor homes are very squishy. They don't have stiff uh, um, springs or, or you know, shocks because they, you know, it's for a smooth ride. And I'm telling you up there, it's like riding on a, on a plate of jello uh, or a bowl of jello. It's just, it's treacherous. They didn't have anything in case I fell to, fell to hold me onto that thing. They put a, a belt over the top of my boots. Oh, great. And attached it to some aftermarket uh, air vent or something. No way would that have held me. But that, I'm telling you, I, that was really, I had to balance almost like on a surfboard. It was really that one could have really taken care because come off there, I'd get right on that concrete, and I, I would have really been hurt. Because those those motorhomes are pretty high, but yeah. they're at least twelve feet. Yeah. Well, the other, the only other the other one that was really dangerous was when with the lion, and uh, they had to. Uh, it's a, a kid who's called a braggart, and he got trapped in a in a compound with a uh, with a young lion, and this lion was one of uh, Elsie's cubs from Born Free and big, about 300, 250, 300 pound lion. And uh, so I had to come in between him and the lion. And the way I did it was coming off my ladder that when I would make landings, there's a 14 foot ladder that I came in over the top of the, uh, of the camera. And I'd land in, you know, land on a pad down there. But try that. It's hard to do it as a superhero without taking a PLF or, or, you know, practice landing fall where you can roll. No, I had to come down and just land. So anyway, uh, here I am. The way they get this lion to come at the camera is they take a live chicken and hold him by his legs upside down and shake him. 
And this chicken's going, and this lion, ooh, hee-haw. And he comes at the camera. Now here comes a bigger bird coming in between him and that bird. And this one is in bright yellow with a cape flying and everything. And I'm saying, oh, my gosh. So I land, and he takes a swing at me like this and misses my, I'm telling you, he misses my thigh by two inches. And what saved me was my cape was like the uh, matador with a bull. And he sliced that cape like it was butter. Uh And I'm saying, that's it. You know, I knew (laughs) about uh, doing with wild animals. And no matter who they're trained with or whatever, you never turn your back on them or, you know, scare them or anything like that. Because they are fast to react. I learned that from Jim Jim, uh, Fowler or whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. Marlon Parkinson. Remember from uh, Wild Kingdom. Right. Well, he, we, we had a, a tour, my family, down in uh, 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 Silver Springs, where Ross Allen had his um, uh, a snake farm or whatever you call it uh, down there. But this was another one that was a bird of prey or something like that. And he was one of the guys down there. Now, they had cheetahs and stuff down there. And we came in after a rain and we practically got a, a, our, my family at the time got a private tour and he told us about the cheetahs and stuff. And he said, what you never do on any wild is never turn your back on any wild animal because that's how they hunt. They're always catching their prey from the back because the prey is usually running from them. So you never turn your back on them. I don't care if you were raised, if they were raised with cubs or whatever, you never turn your back. And that always stuck with me. So after that, I just said, no, I'll let the uh, the uh, trainer wrestle with the lion because they wanted me to wrestle with him. So they put the costume. He was a short guy. Put the costume costume on him. He looked like a California raisin. <laughs> it was all shriveled. <laughs> but he did a good job on that. It was a good job. And then plus, we dealt with uh, the big South American condors. And they could take your finger off in a snap. And I had to approach him. And you always approach him with your wrist tucked under and your, your fingers tucked back with your wrist approaching him. I had, I had nip marks all over my wrist. And when they nip it, then you grab his neck. And you have him by the neck, and then you got him. But uh, as I was, uh, we were finishing, that was the last day of shooting. And by the way, the guy that played Billy Batson <clears throat> in, in the uh, Adventures of Captain Marvel, he was a uh, worker out at the zoo, L.A. Zoo, where we filmed. Uh, and he was in a little cart. What what was the guy? Coglin? Yeah, Coglin, Coglin. Uh, Coglin was his last. He played, and so he's in a scene with Michael out there. In the in the in, when you see that one, the yeah, I, I remember uh, that episode. That's that's him. Uh, so Billy Batson is talking with uh, Billy Batson. But anyway, I'm I'm signing some pictures for the guys on the set, and I hear the siren go by the ambulance. So I don't, I, you know, okay, something's happened. I don't know. And later found out that the, one of the trainers who had the condor, the condor uh, was a little pissed because he was, they had to throw him across the uh, the cage a couple of times, you know, to get him to fly. And his wings were clipped or whatever. But doing that, you know, in the hot days and all day. So he was a little, uh, the condor was not really what you'd call in a joyous mood. Anyway, he snipped the uh, uh, trainer's lip in two like a mm. just like uh, a, a hair lip Ouch. both flaps oh. right in two so uh i said boy thank you jim fowler because <laughs> i'm telling you 
that's the way it went. But that's Man. yeah, those were those were some fun ones we did. That doesn't well, sound like fun, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was it was it, it, because uh, I told him. I mean, I could handle it athletically. I could handle it, but there were certain things. I mean, uh, there were a couple of times that I thought I was going to get crushed. That uh, lifting uh, uh, one of the uh, when the little girl's going down the road, she's not paying attention. Now, why he doesn't just shove it off the road? Who knows when these big combines or whatever it is. And I had to pick it up and let her go under it. Well, as I, that darn thing slipped down about, I would say, eight inches at least. And I, I was under, I, I usually left myself one foot in the hole and one ready to duck, you know, if something ever went wrong. And I, I caught myself off guard that time and I would have been crushed. But fortunately, it had hung on. And I brought it on down and nobody, they didn't stop it or anything. We just brought it on down and, and uh, ended the cut. But holy cow. I went off to one side while they, while the people were over there and, and, they, and the crane operator was trying to explain what happened. And I'm over there just saying, you know, uh, what part do I play in the universe? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm just dazed. I said, boy, that was close. That was close. <clears throat> well, Jackson, the show is almost well, I think this year is 47 years old, almost 50 years old. Uh, so yeah. do, are you surprised that it still has such a huge fan following? Well, because it, it, it was the kids that watched it at the time right. and it right. made an impression on it. I, I the, the lady, and I'm, as I say, going into surgery, I was just at the hospital for a pre-op thing. And the girl was just, I, I wondered why she was just sort of, you know, a little steady. And she said, well, it was my favorite show on television. You were one of my heroes and all. And I just don't know. Anything. I said, oh, my gosh. And she said, I said, well, heck, you know, uh, I give you a picture of something. Let me know. <laughs> uh, in fact, I, I know I'm going to forget to bring one and everything. Just get, you know, go to my website and get a thing and I'll send you one. But, yeah, I get this all the time. Cops, uh, military, you know, sergeants and stuff like that. Man, I didn't know where I was going to do in my life. And he said, you know, you gave me some direction. Yeah, I know Lisa and I talked before about the uh, the morals at the end. How, how you know, you and uh, y'all had, you know, a hand in raising us, te teaching us right and wrong and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it was my idea. Oh, really? I told Bob Chanel, the first in the first showings, when the, uh, the, it first came out in 74, they didn't have them. I said, Bob, what is missing is the hero coming back and talking to the kids like Lone Ranger would come back. And, and everybody would wait for that, for the high old silver or, right. or uh, Cisco and Poncho. Oh, Cisco, oh, Poncho. Adios. See you next week. Or whatever. Or Sergeant Preston, you come talking to King. Well, King, this place is closed. You need that. He said, well, they see. He said to come back now. Nah, they don't want to give up that 60 seconds of commercials. I said, okay, we'll see. And the fan mail was unbelievable. Wanted to see more of this. So they, he came back and he said, Jackson, they decided to go ahead and do those. And this was 15 of them because this was the first year. And uh, I said, yeah, I don't. He said, no, let's, so we'll do them. So we went out and we filmed them all 15 in one day out at, uh, uh, I think it's called Sherwood Lake. It may be, may not be right, but it's right in the middle of Bel Air. And uh, if you look real close, when they're real close on me, I mean tight, my face is right there. My face, my nose is six inches from the lens. All I'm looking at is the camera shutter going up and down the gate, going up, that's all I can see. And when I'm talking, uh, but 
if you look in the back behind me, you can see the rain coming down. It was raining. They had a big umbrella over me, and they had sun lamps shining me in the face. So, I mean, you really have to concentrate <laughs> to, to, to not have all that crap going on around you to be able uh, to deliver. But to me, those made the show. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about having the hero come back and talk to the kids. Right. Hi. Today you saw how Norm finally had the courage to trust Billy. And most important, trust himself. He learned a valuable lesson that we can all share. Before we can like others, we must first like ourselves. See you next week. Well, Jackson, we thank you very much for doing the podcast with us. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure Shazam fans all over the world will enjoy listening to this episode. So thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it, Patrick. You guys just, you know, stay stay safe and do what's right. <laughs> I think it'll all work out, but I appreciate being on your show. Okay, um, for this podcast, you can go, uh, the code word is Captain Marvel. Go on our Facebook page for Pop Ninja and send it to us in a private message and you can win a copy of the DVD. We want to thank all of our listeners. And as always, we invite you to be active on our Facebook page. Let us know your favorite movies and TV shows and bands and toys and, and just whatever you want to talk about. And thanks for listening. And we will have another brand new episode next week. And as we sign off, I want to leave you with this final thought. I want you to stop me if you've heard this one. It's the story of the wide mouth frog. Once upon a time, there was a wide mouth frog. And she had some babies. And she wanted to find out what to feed those babies. So she decided to hop out into the forest and ask the other animals what they feed their babies. So she went hopping down the path and she came to a rabbit said, hi, I'm the wide mouth frog. I just had some babies. And I was wondering what you feed your babies. And the rabbit said, well, I feed my babies carrots and lettuce and cabbage and parsley. Oh, thank you very much. She came by a lake and she saw a big alligator on the edge of the lake and she hopped up to him and said, hi, I'm the wide mouth frog. And I just had some babies, and I was wondering what you feed your babies. And the alligator said, Well, I feed my babies wide-mouthed frogs. Oh, you don't see many of those around here, do you? <laughs>